Hello, everyone. <laughs> I'm still whooping. Let's keep that whooping going. Uh, my name is Steph. I'm one of the pastors here, in case you're new to the church. And uh, we just started a series in, on David. Um, last week was a session one on David. I told, I told a story of the Old Testament kind of like briefly up until this point last week. So I'm not going to do that again. It'll just take too long. Um, but you can get the podcast from last week. That should help you. If you're interested in the Bible, which I'm sure you are, even if you're here and you're not a believer, you're, you're here for a reason. So I'm sure you've got some interest in the Bible. So um, last week, I just did a bit of an overview of how, how the nation of Israel got started and got to the point where King David arrived. So that's worth listening to and um, said various things about David. I'm not going to repeat all of that again, but we want to do a, a, a series focusing on this man who made a huge impact and who continues to speak, particularly through his Psalms and his songs. Um, in the Bible. So we're going to look today at the moment where it becomes clear that God has chosen David to be king. That's what we're going to look at. We're going to read um, that um, in just a moment um, together. Actually, let's start. Let's start there. Let's, let's, if you've got a Bible with you, please turn to the book called 1 Samuel. And we're going to go I'll read the passage, then I'll give you the context afterwards. Maybe a slightly unusual way of doing it, but I feel like that's, that's the best way to do it um, today. So we're going to start 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Samuel is, at this point, the kind of the prophet of the nation. He's the man who's hearing God. He represents God's voice to the people of Israel. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? Saul is the current king. How long will you grieve over him since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, oh, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. 
And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Father, thank you for this wonderful story. So much in there. I pray that you'd help me use this time to really bring the point home that you want to be brought home. Holy Spirit, I just want to submit to your leadership, to you alone. May my spirit yield. And I pray for all the listeners, Lord, that you would give them grace to hear what you're saying. Spiritual insight, discernment. We pray bring, bring, bring dead things to life. Do good new things through your word, I pray. Amen. Amen. So the context of this story is one of failure. That's the context. Saul, the present king, has failed. So it's important to understand the context in which this is happening. Okay? It's a negative context, essentially. Um, now, the point I want to make at the start is, this, is that people fail. God's purposes don't. It's really important you understand that. Um, people do fail, all of us, unless we are utterly deceived. <laughs> Could point to moments of failure in our life. People fail. We get it wrong. We miss the mark, as the, as the Bible um, puts it. Um, and yet the Bible is really clear at the same time that somehow God's overarching sovereignty means that his ultimate purposes are not knocked off of track by that. Which is an amazing truth if you consider the fact that what we do has very real implications. We all know that, don't we? How we treat one another, what we do with, with one another has very real implications. And yet somehow there's something about the robustness of God's ultimate purpose that will not be knocked off by anything, which is an incredible uh, thing for us to, to ponder as we go through this story. Now, it's not that it's God's will for people to fail. That's not, it's not that. You must get it right. It's not. In fact, you know, God's heart grieves when people mess up. So it's not that he wants them to fail, and it's not that he's not affected when they fail. But, it, but So he's very involved in these things, and yet there's something about his transcendence, his, his aboveness from it all, which means that um, our failure, hallelujah, <laughs> does not have the power and the authority to, um, to derail what God wants to do. It brings such comfort if you're a bit of a... If you, can, if you, if you know that there's failure in your life, it brings immense comfort um, to us. There are two comments made about God choosing David for king before this story happens. I want to look at both of those comments again just to get behind the scenes, get under the bonnet. What's going on here spiritually? So if you go to chapter 13 in the passage, um, in chapter 13 we have this uh, comment whereby Saul has made his first big mistake. Now, Saul's mistakes were both essentially rooted in the same thing. He made two big errors, very different errors, but they were, if you read the story carefully, both stories, you'll realise they were rooted in the same thing, which was essentially what you might describe as um, uh, a lack of trust in God, which, gave, which kind of... Uh, created the environment where he was really concerned about other people's support of him. And when that looked like that was starting to drain away, he would panic and 
cross over lines that God had told him not to. He would begin to do things that he knew he shouldn't do. But it was when he started to get afraid because it looked like his support um, in terms of the people around him was starting to ebb a little bit. There wasn't that um, foundation of God has in him, of God has put me here, God will see me through. Right? That, that hadn't taken root in his heart sufficiently. So when things started to wobble and, 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 and cracks started to appear, he would try and fix it and act in inappropriate ways. Both situations, the same thing happened. After the first time, Samuel says this uh, to him. He says, uh, 1 Samuel 13, 13, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So fascinatingly, it was God's desire on one level for Saul to succeed and for his kingdom to continue forever. He manifested this very serious level of distrust in God, which God in his wisdom understood to realise if this man carries on, he's going to make decisions that are going to be an absolute nightmare for the nation. And so what we, what we find out is, is that behind the scenes, God has found someone. Behind the scenes, God has sought someone out. So God knows the, what Saul is going to do. So in the past tense, the moment of declaration is coming, it's over. But in the past tense, God's already been, God, God knew, God has sought someone out. Someone has been sought out by God. The Bible teaches that, it says that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully his, that he might strengthen them. There's something of a seeking nature about God. Jesus said, the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and truth. The Father's seeking worshippers. There's something very proactive about God and what he does. It's important to realise that because I think a lot of the time we live with this, we can live with this unconscious sense of that God is somehow passive because of the amount of <laughs> human failure he allows to continue without instant judgment. But whenever you have conversations with people when they say, but why did God let that happen? Because something really big and bad has happened and God has allowed it to happen. And then if, we just, if they will stay with me in that conversation, we get to the point where I say to them, why did, God, why did God allow you to mess up in that situation in your life? Why didn't God step in and just judge you? And suddenly we realise that actually if we want God to just step in and sort it out and bring justice, then we have to want the same thing for our lives when we make those bad decisions. I don't know about you, I'm grateful for God's patience. I'm grateful for when, for when God has not stepped in immediately uh, and brought that judgment. I'm so grateful. And even though, even though there's been fallout, you know, you think, God, I'm still grateful that you didn't just step in and destroy me. Thank you. <laughs> and so there is that element. This, isn't, this is complex stuff. But God has sought someone out. And so David, this unknown shepherd boy, has been found by God. God has sought him out. And he's... he's, he's and I, I don't know what it is. We're not letting on what it is, but God says, I found someone after my own heart. I found someone and it's like, I can have, there will be fellowship with that one. God wants fellowship with people. Did you know that? He wants fellowship with people. He wants friendship with people. 
We've, we've got to walk out of this thing whereby we think God wants a bit of our lives. He wants us to go to Christian meetings and, and, and do good things sometimes. He wants us. And that's why even things like the dancing is good for us. Because if you can dance at a party but not at church, you have to ask why. You have to be able to just look at him and say, what is going on there? And if you think, well, it's because maybe, maybe my dancing at the party was inappropriate, well, you shouldn't have been doing it at all. Sort your dancing out and then bring it into church. It's either okay or it isn't. You can't, well, it's okay there but not there. Well, what are you doing? You're creating some bizarre separation between the sacred and the secular. It's all his. And God wants us to walk in a holistic sense with him. So we've got to, you know, this is good for us to, to grapple with this thing. God has, God has found someone who says, we, we can, there can be fellowship together throughout life. That's what God wants. So out a man after my own heart. So we see God is proactive, but we also see God is looking at the heart level. God, this is perhaps the most, either the most comforting or terrifying thing about God. Maybe sometimes both, both in, in, well, always both in one life. Let me, let me, God looks at the heart. So you might be here today and you, you might be saying, do you know what? Life is not looking good. Things aren't going well. But in my heart, I've wanted to please God. He sees. He knows. He understands. You, you haven't got to, you know, you haven't got to convince him. He really sees the heart. And where there are things that are done out of good motive, you know, he honours that. There's such comfort to us here that are wanting to please God and wanting to, wanting to kind of live in a way. There's comfort for us. Even if you think, I've, got, I've kind of got it wrong again, or I didn't quite express it right, or, oh boy, I'm, you know. He knows, right, but he knows your heart. He knows your heart. There's comfort there. But if you're here and you're scheming dark things in your heart, he knows. Do not be in a place of comfort. Fear. Fear. Because he sees it and he hates it. If you are scheming dark things, if you are plotting destructive things, if you are harboring dark things, repent. Please. It's, he sees. He knows. Tremble. Because he sees in the heart. He sees in the heart. This is the God we're dealing with. We're not dealing with someone we've created of our own imagination. He's God. See, all things are laid bare before him. All things. We're naked and exposed before him. You know, if you, if you do what we were talking about earlier, that you say, Lord, do you know what? I just I genuinely want to walk with you. Do you know what he does? As you, as you open yourself up, there's a phrase in the New Testament called pure in heart. And it means that without creases... So it means that you just really, you bring yourself before God, you trust that if you bring yourself before God through Christ, because of the price he's paid for your sins, that you come and you really come. And it means that you don't come like this. We'll just keep that little bit covered over there. And we'll just, we'll just, there we go. Hi, Lord. <laughs> Pure in heart means without creases. Intimacy, into me see. Here I am. And it, it, it ain't always great, Lord. But here I am. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm ashamed of that because that keeps coming in my mind and I can't believe I'm thinking that. And I've got this longing here that I know is wrong, Lord. 
but I don't want to harbour it. I don't want to feed it. I want to bring it before you. And you have that safety in Christ to be able to really come before the throne of God. And it's a throne of grace for mercy and help in time of need because he's took our judgment. You see? It's what he does. That's why it's a beautiful thing to walk in 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 an open heart before God. The second one is in chapter 15. The second instance where Saul messes it up in a similar sort of way on a heart level. And, um, and so Samuel affronts him on it and, 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 and then they have this kind of argument and Saul's defending himself and Samuel walks away and Saul grabs his robe. And as he grabs his robe, um, it, it tears in his hand. And uh, it says, it says um, as Samuel turned to go away, verse 27 of chapter 15, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day. And has given it to a neighbour of yours who is better than you. <gasps> he's torn it from you. He's given it to your neighbour. and He's, he's better. He's gonna, he, there, is a, there, is, there is something about this person's heart. He's going to walk straight. It's quite, it's quite sobering. It's quite sobering. But it's a fascinating insight, actually. In, even in this instance, where, where Samuel says to him, you're small in your eyes. We're having this debate. Says, you are small in your own eyes. Samuel was physically head and shoulders above everyone else in Israel. A very impressive man physically. What you might call a head and shoulders man. He stood out. Let him be our leader. Look. Saul, Samuel says to him, you're small in your own eyes. There was something about Saul where he had this kind of sense he was a grasshopper. That's how he saw himself. He's small in his own eyes, and it kind of that 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 can get really that can get really really unhealthy, in the sense that what happens is you assume everyone you're around is superior, right? And you lock up. You don't know what to do around people because you kind of you kind of need their approval because you're caught up in this thing that I'm not as good as other people. So we've got this difficult, this ugly thing here. The problem is people try and solve this. They, some people call it low self-esteem. Some people try and solve it by saying, you've got to get some high self-esteem. I want to challenge that. I want to challenge that because actually I do not think the answer is, oh yeah, now I know who I am. I, I, I'm looking on at that and I'm thinking, hmm, I don't think that's the solution. I don't think that is the solution to that. God doesn't, God doesn't say, I've, I've now chosen someone who really thinks a lot of themselves. God says, I've chosen a man after my own heart. It's a God man. A man who knows God and knows who he is in God. So there's a man defined by God. A man knows who he is in relationship to who God is. And therefore can stand before others because he knows he stands and lives before God. He's not constantly comparing, am I better? Am I worse? The Lord is the great leveller. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord has made them all. It's no longer about comparisons. It's no longer. It's, a, it's such, a, such a dead end game comparisons, isn't it? You come up better, you end up proud. You come out worse, you end up sad. It's such a dead end game. I know who I am in God and I'm dearly loved. And I know who I am and I know who I'm not and I'm peaceful in that. It's just God awareness. It deals with that whole self-esteem thing in both directions. So before anything's happened in this story that we're going to look at, this is all part of the intro, guys. Before anything's happened in the thing we're going to look at, this man has been sought out and given a kingdom. It's important you understand that. 
This David has been sought out and has been given a kingdom and has been commanded to be a prince. So who, we don't know what we don't have an insight into. Actually, we sort of make up, we elaborate, but we don't really know before this moment what was going on in David's life. But he's been sought out by God. He's been given a kingdom and commanded to be a prince. God works in the secret place. And then often things sit there for years. And you know because you know because you know. And then the moment comes where it's God, God brings it out to the public. But this goes on in private. You must not underestimate the way God works in the secret place. God, God puts things in. And says things to people. And then years sometimes later, he will bring it out. And you think, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. I, I remember, um, so well, this week I was speaking to, I was invited down to a church in Kent to, to speak to a group of leaders. Now, there's only one reason why I can do that peacefully. Let me assure you, there's nothing about my lifestyle. Well, yeah, of course I can do that, you know, because of this, this and this. That is not how I think. There's only one reason why I can confidently and peacefully speak to a group of leaders. And that's because years ago, God whispered into my heart, you're going to be a leader of leaders. And that's actually not who I am in terms of personal temperament. It was just a God thing. And it was just like, oh, okay, fine. Didn't have to make it happen. But then there comes a point, God, but when it comes, you're then peaceful. Do you know what I mean? You're peaceful. You think, okay, this is what God said. I haven't got to be in the zone. Do you know what I mean? I've just give me, just let me, hold on a minute, you know, let me just, no, I haven't gone to. It's the calling of God, there's a grace on it. And whatever God graces you for, there's an ease about that comes with it. It's an, there's a naturalness that comes about it. So something's happened, we don't know, but something's been happening in David's heart. Now, all I want to make is very, two very simple points from today's story. The first thing is this, the human element is important. Samuel came and pours oil on his head in front of other people. You think, well, what's the, why? God's already sought him out. God's, come on, he's the man. He's set apart in God's eyes. Come on, let's just get on with it. No, there's a human element that is important. There's a public recognition. There's something about being around other people in what God's doing in your life. There's even some oil involved. And it all actually, it says from that moment on, the spirit rushed on him. There's a human thing that happens, but it, it triggers fresh spiritual momentum. And what I want to speak about, just a few things quickly on that. And the first thing is I want to talk about baptism. Baptism, you must say, it's just some water. It was just some oil. From that moment on, the Spirit of God rushed on him. It, there was something in that that God was using. The oil was just oil, sure. But in that moment of anointing, of dedication, it, was, it served a purpose in God and the Spirit rushed on him. It matters. It matters. We mustn't despise physical things at all, because they're all part of God's creation and good. But even physical things used in kind of like spiritual for spiritual purpose, you mustn't dismiss that. You mustn't, and you mustn't have like a, a dim view of things like baptism as kind of like on the side. Listen, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Uh, we we know there's numbers of you that are currently wanting to be baptised, which is wonderful. And some of you that are 
studying the scriptures, reflecting on whether, you know, just trying to understand God's word about it. But we, we, we want to do some baptisms soon. And I, I know some of you will be going, yeah, because you, you can't wait to, to, to be baptised. But we're going to try and find a way through for it. But let me just say, it does matter. It's important. And also what's important is this, that something happened publicly around other people. There was something there that could, that could be pointed to and acknowledged. It's a public thing. This whole idea of, well, it's just me and God, you know, and we just kind of do our thing. It's just not biblical. <laughs> it's just not healthy. God, God, create, God puts people into families. God, God creates a church and he, it's like a body and there's different, it's, everyone's got a place where they can function in a way that's naturally them, but supernaturally empowered. That's what he does. He, he loves to do that. And it's ever so important that we don't dismiss that for some kind of, it's me and Jesus thing. No, no, no. There's something about the brotherhood and the sisterhood and the togetherness and the fellowship and we're doing this together that is part of God's heart. And that we appreciate that, that we value that, that we don't see it as something marginal or off to the side. No, it's actually central in the purposes of God. There is this, to be honest, quite strange event that happens on the face of it. God's done it. He's sought him out. He's commanded him to be the king of Israel. He's given him the kingdom. But there's this moment. And um, it's important that we, don't, that, we, that we understand and appreciate that for what it is. The only other thing I want to say on this is to just... The dynamic of the choice of, the, of, the, of that moment. Samuel is a spiritual man. He's a prophet. He's in tune with God. As soon as he sees Eliab, who's a head and shoulders man, what conclusions does he jump to? Hey, haven't you learned? <laughs> and there's something of a paradigm with the Saul David. It's like a it's like a fleshly leadership, spiritual leadership. It's like a head and shoulders. Man, woman, it's God, man, woman. Do you know what I mean? There's a, there's a paradigm there. It's like, but we are so quickly seduced by impressiveness. Oh, wow, look, it must be him. It must. Samuel, you're a prophet. You've been a prophet for decades. You know the ways of God. Yeah, must be him. Heaven goes, no. <laughs> almost, go- almost, godly, almost godly man on the ground, you know, and he's fallen for the age old. <gasps> look, he's tall. Uh, you know, and his old soul, six foot eight or whatever, you know what? It's like, God, don't you get it? It's, it's, it is so important that we keep hearing this. God is very honest about it. He's, I, love, I love the honesty of God. He says, uh, uh, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. There you go. All right. God's seen it. God's assessed it. Hmm. I've noticed something about this human race. <laughs> I've noticed something they do. They're always assessing on outward appearance. They're always assessing on it. I tell you, the world is a very unjust place in that regard. It's, an, it's, a, it's a tragically, tragically unjust place in that regard. S- studies and surveys have been done of who's most likely to get the job, and it's just tragic. It's tragic built on what they're wearing or built on the colour of their hair or built on, you know, their physical attractiveness. And you just think, oh, God, have mercy on us. We're the church. It's meant to be, a, meant to be you know what I mean? We're meant to be able to learn by his grace to see beyond that and not be seduced just by impressiveness. It's not, impressiveness and spiritual empowerment are different things, right? And the, the, the reality is there's probably way too many Eliabs in spiritual leadership. People that have got there either because of intelligence, articulate, they're articulate, they're charming, their physical appearance, sorry, who knows. 
And it's like we've got to get back to saying that actually it's, it's, it's the anointing, the empowering of the Holy Spirit that makes people fruitful. Yeah, that's, that, that, only that can cut it in kingdom work. If you're wanting to see people's lives changed, it's the work of the Spirit. Only the Spirit can do that. And it's ever so important that we, that we remember that. David is forgotten and overlooked. Now, actually, you know, it makes a point. He was, he was pretty good looking as well, but um, he was still forgotten and overlooked um, by his own father. I mean, it's such an embarrassing, it's such an embarrassing like, conversation, isn't it? You think, oh, God. You know, imagine, imagine your, you know, your own son. Oh, yeah, oh, there, is, there is one other, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, man. You know, if anyone, if anyone would have had a rejection complex, beware. Beware the whole thing. You define someone by their negative experiences. God is able. God is able to overcome all of that and, and anoint and empower and equip for massive fruitfulness. But it's a terribly, you know, you think, oh my goodness. You know, I was out in the field. Yeah, there's a, and I love it. Sam says, we will not sit down until you get him. What? Why? Because God's on this one's life and there's an honour that comes uh, straight away. Being overlooked and being forgotten cannot obstruct God's purpose for your life. Sometimes it's a bit funny. I have conversations with people, particularly about church stuff, and sometimes you realise, you think, oh, you think that I can impact, like I, can, I, I can obstruct or get in the way of what God's doing with you because I'm a pastor. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, I can certainly mess things up and hurt people like anyone else can. I can't stop God's purpose for your life. I, hopefully I can help to try along with others in the church, create an environment where you can grow and be fruitful and flourish. And men will be diligently do that. But no one has the power to obstruct God's purpose for someone's life. Come on. And it doesn't occur to me because power is not one of my things. You know, some people, power is one, not one of my things. So it's, I still don't realise some people see me that way. You think, oh, it's so, so, not hilarious, sad, I guess, but it does make me chuckle because I think, oh, I can't do that. I wouldn't want to do that, but I can't do that. God, God will have his way. And God will move things out of the way to get in the way of his way. Because he's alive and he's able to do these things. It's important to remember that. So it's so important. You might feel overlooked or forgotten. You know, God says in the Bible, it's one of those rhetorical questions with a surprise and answer. He says, can a, can a mother forget a child nursing at the breast? And we all go, no. And he says, even if she does. Oh, okay. <laughs> even if she does, I won't forget you. And you're like, okay, phew. Okay. So it ends up good. But it's, there's a moment where it's a bit of a curveball. You think, what? Hold on. And, but actually you think, yeah, actually, actually, yeah. Mums aren't perfect. You know, yeah, even if that most extreme, surely not, even if I will not forget you, your name is written on the palm of my hand. So I just want to finish by saying this, you know what, actually, David in all his wonderful anointing and chosenness blew it big time. And we'll look at that in one of our weeks. You can't call on the name of David and be saved. You can try, nothing's happening. He wouldn't want you to. (laughs) David could never have atoned for your sins. To atone for the sins of the world, you have to be a spotless, pure lamb, sacrificial lamb without blemish. David couldn't do that. David was not raised from the dead. His tomb is still there in Jerusalem today, as Peter says in the preach on Pentecost. 
David's a signpost to the true Bethlehemite, the true good shepherd, who's not a head and shoulders man. Remember we said the other week, he's not a head and shoulders man, Jesus, in that sense. When they went and arrested him, Judas, can you kiss which, which one it is? Because we don't know which one it is. It's just a rabble from Galilee. <laughs> we don't know who's who. You know, they all seem to be praying and doing healings. Which one is it? It's the one I kiss. Because he's very, just, there's nothing special in that sense about him. He wasn't hovering. It's the one that's hovering. It's his feet. Oh, yeah, that one. Okay, well, it's not. He wasn't hovering. His feet were on the ground. Yeah? It's the blonde one. No. No. The blonde one. Blue eyes. You've seen the posters? Surely. No. No. No, no. Kiss him. Kiss him because we don't know who he is. He's just, 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 we don't know who's who. He's not head and shoulders man in that sense. He's anointed. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. The Spirit of God is upon me. That's, what, that's, that's, the, that's our king. That's our king. And you know what? With all authority in heaven and on earth, he has never once used it corruptly. People say power corrupts, absolute power absolutely corrupts. Not with Jesus, it doesn't. <laughs> He's such a king. I'll tell you what, and it becomes more and more into focus during our, during our politically charged age. I'm more and more excited about the government of Christ. I'm more and more thrilled, you know. Oh, there, there is an option. There is an option that will absolutely sort everything out. And the more manifestos I'm hearing about and reading, you think, it just sounds like the new heavens and the new earth, what you're trying to do. It just, you're trying to sort out injustice. You're trying to look after the poor. I've, I, we know, look, we've got to engage politically, but Revelation 22, we've got, I, know, I know who's going to be in charge and he's going to actually be able to do it. And so more and more, it's like, Lord, your kingdom come. The reality of your government in people's lives because, you know, I mean, it's always been the case, but you, you reach certain junctures in history where everyone's kind of realising no one's got the answers. And even if they have, they haven't got the resources to make it happen. Hallelujah. We've got a king who's going to return and make all things new. He died for our sins and he rose again. as a mighty declaration that he is all that he said he is. God the Father affirmed him in the resurrection. Yes, declared the Son of God with power. He reigns for now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.